Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you looking for that one-of-a-kind Christmas or birthday gift? If so, head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com and check out the best gifts for outdoorsmen for 2021. We've curated a bunch of unique ideas to help you find an awesome gift for the outdoorsmen on your list. Just head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash best fishing gifts for outdoorsmen and check it out. And brought to you by Mustad Fishing. One in four hooks in the world is made by Mustad Fishing. See why they're the best-selling hook brand in the world and enjoy 25% off your next order at mustad-fishing.com by using code GREATDAYS at checkout. And brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Hey guys, if you're fortunate enough to own a lake or a pond, then I know you want to get the most out of it as possible. We all want to manage and grow big deer on our place, so why not grow the biggest, most healthy fish possible as well? Give Norman a call at Southeastern Pond Management at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com and they do an incredible job around the state of Alabama and the Georgia, Tennessee. So if you're thinking about building a lake, if you're thinking about redoing an existing pond or lake that you have, restocking, fertilizing, liming, these guys do it all and they do it well. It's what they do for a living. So they're really good at it. What's up, guys? I'm your host, Brian Sin. Thank you for listening today. Man, Alabama weather has been, it's been beautiful. Glad to see it cooling back off. Man, it just couldn't have asked for better weather around the state this week and and this past weekend and it looks like it's going to be the same going into this next weekend and it's just man what a what a great time of year actually got to get out and sit in a tree stand one afternoon uh this week uh, without absolutely burning up so uh that's always a positive too but Glad y'all are joining us today. Hey, I'm really, uh, really excited to share this segment with you guys today. We, we're going to do a special segment today on slow pitch jigging. And this is, this is more for offshore guys, but I know we've got so many fishermen around the state of Alabama that love the bass fish, love the crappie fish, catfish, all the wonderful things that we have. But Alabama also has an unbelievable coastline and offshore fishing we're just we're just so fortunate to be blessed with a state that offers as much diversity as fishing and we as we do. So this episode, this show that we're doing today is going to be a special show with slow pitch jigging. Now, I'm not a saltwater guy, so I'm looking forward to hearing it myself. So without further ado, let's join our other hosts from some of our saltwater shows, Butch, Joe, and Angelo as we dive in to slow pitch jigging. Enjoy, guys. All right, before we get into that next report, let's take a let's take a little break and dig into some of the tactics that we talk about on here sometimes. And uh, one of the things that is a buzzword right now is slow pitch jigging. We're going to find out what exactly that is, who it's going to benefit, and everything you're going to need to know if you want to start doing it. So let's go check in with Butch Theory over on the Alabama Saltwater Fishing Report and uh, see what this is all about. 
What's going on, Butch? Oh, man, nothing much. We've been talking about doing this show for quite some time. Slow pitch jigging, man. It's all the buzz right now. Uh, Angelo and I are excited to get into it. We've been talking about it a little bit. I feel like we've been doing this for quite some time, yeah. <laughs> but now it's it's a thing <laughs> now for some reason. So let's talk about it, man. I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's like one of those deals where, you know, I'm like, I'm learning about it. And I'm like, kind of seems like it just kind of seems like jigging, doesn't it? Kind of seems mean, familiar. Yeah. Right. Like, I feel like we've been doing this for a long time, but there is some nuance to it. There's some there's some new tackle. There's some new gear. There's probably more to it than than what we're making of it. I know Angelo got all geared up and everything. Angelo, what's your experience with slow pitch jigging so far? Look, I'm interested to see what Victor says, because for me, like you have two kinds of jigging. You have the like the kind of jigging that you're just kind of ripping it fast, you know, kind of like you're jigging for amberjack or black fins or something. And then you have to me the kind of jigging that's kind of you're on some natural bottom and you're kind of working it up 10, 15 feet and dropping it back down. I feel like without knowing the definition of slow pitch, like that would be it. And I bought rods, reels, everything <laughs> to go do this. And then I started having kids. And then the only thing I've caught on it is black fence. I'll say this, <laughs> the difference in the rods, like they're, they're super light, they're slender. Like you go buy a normal rod from the tackle store. That thing's heavy. It's clunky. The reels, you know, I remember jigging with a 50 wide, mm. like oh, yeah. an old school diamond jig back in the day. I, it would be comical to see somebody do that right now yeah yeah uh, well the good news is is that we have a professional with us today to iron out all these details yeah we've got victor lubin is that how you say it victor that's it awesome victor is land shark outdoors man you've got a uh, awesome youtube channel and i've really enjoyed watching your stuff so we're we're excited to hear uh your expertise today all right thank you boys thanks for having me yeah. So tell us your experience with slow pitch jigging. I mean, first off, I think we just need to explain it. We got, you know, Angelo may think it means something that not different than what I think. Sounds a lot like some things we've been doing for years, but there is some nuance to it. So what's your definition of slow pitch jigging? So I think that we're all kind of on the same boat in terms of when you're offshore, jigging is jigging. You have medium speed jigging, faster speed jigging, slower speed jigging. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're moving a piece of lead or a piece of metal up and down the water column, whether it's the bottom of the water column, the top of the water column, the things that are going to differ, the size of the jig, the cadence of which you're jigging and the rods. So traditionally, what got real popular, at least I know in the southeast of the United States was high speed jigging or butterfly jigging, right? You had relatively thin walled rods, but some thicker walled rods, and you're throwing around seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 ounce jigs. And it was primarily amberjack, black fins. Slow pitch jigging is much more of a finesse type of jig. You're really trying to be in tune with where your jig is in the water column rather than just ripping it up and down and just beating yourself up. And slow pitch jigging is something that you're should be able to do all day. I mean, anyone who's high speed jig, you guys know 10 drops and your I mean, your shoulders torn out. Yeah, you're cooked. So the technology, it seems like all the good fishing technology, all the gear usually comes from Japan, from that side of the world. And that's kind of where slow pitch has really evolved. And it's starting to get trendy, as you guys would say over here. But at the end of the day, what I like people to know is not to overcomplicate things and not to overthinking at the end of the day it's still jigging. You're trying to match your jig to the speed of the current, to the depth of the water, 
you're trying to match your rod to the jig that you're fishing and you're trying to match the size of the reel and your braid to that as well. I like it. I think that's a pretty good explanation. You know, you talked, you were talking about work in different parts of the water column and that's something that, you know, we were taught, we've all talked about black fins so far, you know, you may be in 5,000 feet of water, but you've got your mark and black fins at 250. And that's been one of the really, really cool parts about, uh, you know, butterfly jigging, whatnot is you catch, can catch those fish on the descent or working it back up. You kind of keep it in that, in that, uh, water call, you know, in that depth and, and, and be, can hook those fish. So when we're talking about slow pitch jigging, is this something that's typically done in contact with the bottom or is it something that can be used in open water like that as well? I think most people think that it's meant to be worked on bottom, but that's not necessarily true. Um, one of my biggest ever gag grouper was actually on a mustad daggerman jig working it relatively fast, not like a slow pitch, but it was pretty mid column. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, gags, red snapper, cobia, these fish are not always on bottom. Sometimes they're mid column. Sometimes they're three quarters of the way up and slow pitch jigging. It can be very effective in all depths of the water column. You know, you use your, you know, your, your sonar, you're looking for the fish, you're marking them, you're trying to see where they're at. You know, people always think blackfins got to be on top of the water mid-column. That's not true. We've caught a lot of blackfins on the very bottom. Same thing with bonitas. Same thing with other pelagic fish that you would not really attribute to the bottom. So, Victor, you know, thinking about that and that, like what you're saying, these fish can be caught all through the water column. What is, is the difference there technique-wise that you're just slowing it down or... I think one of the things I've noticed with, uh, with jigging in general is that I tend to get more bites on the fall on the flutter down than I do jigging up. Maybe that's just my own technique that I use that I get better, you know, better hookups there, but with slow pitch, are we still trying to, you know, really, really work that fall more than the, you know, than the jig up, kind of take me through some of the technique that you use, um, or are you trying to mix it up and maybe find, find what they like that day? mix it up that that's what i would say so number one thing um i I guess it really depends on the bottom you're fishing or the area you're fishing and also the species that you're going to be encountering so let's say if i'm setting up and i know there's going to be a lot of scamps red snapper uh vermilion some fish in deeper water like that two to four hundred foot range and there's a lot of natural bottom naturally i want to keep the jig as close to the bottom as possible because yes, I can catch a black to, a blackfin higher up, but predominantly I'm looking for bottom fish. So in that sense, I want long sweeps of the rod, fluttering down, keeping it in that bottom 15 feet of the water column, just above the bottom. And it's just like with anything. Some days you feel like having a Popeye's chicken sandwich. Some days you want Taco Bell. Some days you want a steak. You don't know what the fish want that day. Um, people get so caught up in trying to mimic other people and the way they're jigging the rod. You guys have seen it. I mean, we're all fishermen here. Sometimes they want a Speedo. Sometimes they want a sardine. Sometimes they want this color. Sometimes they're keyed in on super small baits. So, you know, a smaller jig or more of a wobble style jig. I think the biggest thing is to kind of just experiment, you know, throughout the day. And that's what makes you a good fisherman. But one thing I really wanted to, to touch on that I've noticed is 
the smaller the jig, I tend to get more bites. And even with bigger fish, elephants eat peanuts. I think that's something that most of us have experienced as fishermen. Fish grow up eating little stuff. 50 pound fish eat tiny bait fish. They don't, you know, they don't discriminate down there. I always try to fish the smallest profile lure because the way I look at it as we as humans, we generally eat three meals a day. Fish are kind of the same way. They're not always eating 24 seven. They might not want, you know, a cheeseburger, but they might want a French fry. So fish the smallest profile bait you can get away with that the current and the conditions allow you. That's some really good tips. And, you know, it's funny you say that, Victor, you know, a little earlier in the show, we were uh, talking with one of our contributors, Delenn Sigler. And, you know, we were talking about a giant gag grouper uh, that he and I caught. Uh, when I say he and I, I mean, he caught it. I was on the boat. And, <laughs> but he caught that fish on a two hook rig, you know, just a regular old chicken rig is a 50 yep. pound gag grouper. They don't, you know, like you said, elephants eat peanuts for sure. And uh, that's some great advice, but I want to, I want to take you back to what you were talking about, about mixing it up because that's something, you know, Butch, you think about the amount of times we've fished together. Seems like you see a lot of times where one guy is getting a lot of the hookups on specifically, we're talking about jigging. Like this guy's just seems like every time he drops, he's getting hooked up. He's got that cadence figured out. He's got yeah. it. And you know, we, it, we'd always just say, well, what, where are you? You know, where are you in mm -hmm. the water column? He may be at 250. Everybody else is at 220. Or he's saying, look guys, I'm, I'm not even dropping the bait. I'm staying at 250, but I'm, I'm letting it just, I'm staying right here. Or, or I'm, I'm getting the bite when I drop, you know, I'm going to 220 and I'm letting, letting it rip out 30 yards of line, you know, just letting it. Yeah. But, but ultimately we're always asking the guy catching the fish, what he was doing that day and it changed That's usually me so i may not i can't relate sure, to you on course. that because i'm usually right. the one catching the fish yeah but, but i mean you <laughs> think too i mean even colors and, and profiles i mean some days it was just a regular old diamond jig some days it was For a sure. butterfly jig some days it had to be the glow and dark the glow in the dark one i mean it seemed like the pink works better this time you know you just have to kind of keep mixing it up and I, I think that's good advice uh victor so i want to take you back to what you said about uh, uh rods and reels you know, you were talking about matching the weight of the lure to kind of the amount of the amount of current that you've got. And, and, but take me through what you think your setup should be for a slow pitch jigging rod and reel, because like Angelo said earlier, these is very different looking equipment, uh, very small diameter rods, very large setups and so boy, many options. And there's so many options. I mean, how do you even know where to begin? Yeah. So, yeah. so how do you just take us through your, your recommendations on that? All right. So we're going to break it down. Remember when you were a little kid and I don't know about you guys, but my parents, when I got my first fishing rod and then I wanted to get another one, they're like, why do you need another one? And I'm like, mom, dad, you don't <laughs> understand. I need this one for this one and this one for this one. Unfortunately, fishing is not a cheap hobby. It kind of holds true. And especially when it comes to slow pitch jigging. So what I would recommend is a minimum of two solid setups that can accommodate, I'd say around 100 to 300 gram jigs. And then you need a rod for 300 gram jigs and up. You're gonna be fishing different jigs in different conditions. You can get away with fishing one rod, but you're not gonna get the same action. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, some guys have four, five, six, seven setups. I think that's a little excessive, but I think, the number one thing is matching the jig to the current. 
because once again, just like with vertical jigging, high-speed jigging, your jig is going to be most effective when you're straight up and down with your line because A, you're not going to have the slack, so you're actually going to feel the strike. B, you're going to get the best presentation because now your jig is actually fluttering down versus, you know, going sideways. And, um, you know, whatever you're marking on bottom, you need to really be able to be vertical with that jig. So to get that vertical line, we're going to touch on line in a second too, but the weight of the jig needs to match the current, then the weight of the jig needs to match the rod and reel. That's where some rods are rated for 400 to 700 gram jigs. You're not going to be able to work a hundred gram jig on that rod. You're just, it's going to be ripping up and down like crazy. You're just not going to get that natural sweep of the rod. So I really recommend kind of a lighter setup and then, you know, a medium to medium heavy setup based on the jig itself. Yeah. All right, Victor. So we've kind of gotten technical on this thing, but like for me, I kind of know, want to know where you're from, where you fished, so I can apply some of that thought process to where I'm at. And just curiosity, like part B of that question is, have you ever tried it for like deep drop fish, like a tile fish or grouper in six, seven, eight hundred foot of water? Yeah, Angelo. So I'm from Southeast Florida. I'm from Pompano Beach, which is just above Fort Lauderdale. And um, so I've slow pitched and just jigged in general all across the state. Uh, the West Coast, California, Alaska. One thing that I kind of want to stress, you know, in the talk that we're having is slow pitching shouldn't replace anything you currently do as an offshore fisherman. To me, I kind of view it as a as a hobby, kind of like a an, an alternative. Because for me, I get a lot of satisfaction catching a fish on artificial. There are going to be plenty of times where live bait or dead bait is not only more effective, but will outfish a jig. But the same can be true for slow pitch jigging. I like to bring both. You know, I like to bring my live bait stuff, my dead bait stuff, as well as my jigging stuff out there with me. Then there's some days where you just want to go out and just strictly jig. You don't want to worry about turning on the live wheel. You don't want to worry about getting ice and getting dead bait. But I feel like with how trendy it's gotten, people think that, oh, I can't catch a fish anymore unless I'm slow pitch jigging, which is not the case at all. It's, it's fun. It's super rewarding as fishermen to really feel the thump. You, you know, you're fooling a fish with a piece of lead and going back to what you said about the deep dropping. So personally, I haven't done too much for like the golden tile fish and the queen snapper and the yellow edge grouper. I know that it can work very well, but that's one of those things where, to be honest, I think dead bait and live well, dead bait primarily on a chicken rig on an electric reel, you're going to outfish someone 10 to 1 who's slow pitch jigging. I think the guys who are slow pitch jigging, it's more of a sense of gratitude and uh, satisfaction. Like, damn, I can catch what people used to only be able to do on an electric reel in 900, 1,000 feet of water on a piece of lead on this tiny reel with a tiny rod. And I think it's more of the challenge rather than it being more effective than traditional deep dropping. I get it. That that definitely makes sense. I was wondering about the limitations as well, but I think it's kind of like what rings this in my head is I'd rather catch, you know, five speckled trout on top water. It kind of sounds like the same thing. It doesn't need exactly. to, it, it doesn't need to be your whole quiver, but it's definitely fun to have it in there whenever, you know, the opportunity yeah. presents itself. Talking about deep dropping, that brought up a question that I had about, you know, your real setup. Whenever you have your, your real setup, what's your ideal retrieve rate? whenever you're slow pitch jigging, can you have too high of a retrieve? 
Well, I think that goes back to what we talked about in terms of the one guy on the boat who's getting all the bites on the other one, you know, the other three who aren't. I think it just depends on the day. I'll never forget. I had a conversation with a, a guy in a tackle shop around here and we were talking about lures in general. And this guy, you know, he ran a big Viking and he was saying how he's fished all these Marlin tournaments around the world and he hasn't had a dead bait on his boat in like 20 years. And it was actually at Black Bart Lures um, off of Blue Heron. And he explained it to me like this. He said, if you've ever played with a cat, cats are very curious creatures. You know, the little stupid toys or the little laser beam and you're shining it around, they're attacking it. That's kind of what like jigging or a topwater is to fish a lot of the time. I don't think they always necessarily think it's my next meal. They're curious. They just want to attack it. It's, it's out of pure aggression. You know, it's something that's fluttering that they've never seen before in a weird color they've never seen before. And I know I got a little off topic there, but I think that <laughs> I got you though. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just something different. You know, they've seen your pinfish 10 trillion times and now there's a crazy glow jig jigging in their face and they're like, Oh, well, I got to check this out. I got to take a bite out of it. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but, but, but also like you said too, the satisfaction of catching a fish on a jig, man, they hit it. You just feel that hit. It's so much harder, it. so much harder than you catch when you catch them on a live bait, you know, with say a circle hook or something like that. I mean, it is just, they crush it. I mean, you really feel everything they put into it. Super exciting. Like you said, but you'd rather catch five trout yeah. on top water than you would 15 on live bait. It's, it's just a, it's a new challenge. And, um, do you think there's a scenario, Victor, where it does stand out where this was the best tactic for the day. I mean, I think a lot of times, uh, uh, right now, you know, flounder fishing is picking up and live bait for flounder typically is going to outfish artificial baits, but sometimes, uh, artificial wins because you can cover more ground with it. So is there ever a scenario where you say, no, th this is when I want to have a vertical jig, uh, or excuse me, a, or slow pitch jig versus live bait what you just said right there so with covering ground and water if i'm anchoring i may or may not drop the jig but if you think about it you're only covering that same 10 square feet of water over and over again at anchor if you're and you know the fish are there then of course the live bait is going to outfish it but if you're drifting long distances you're going to be able to have a bait which is your jig in the water the entire time versus reeling up rebaiting redropping and then if you're fishing bottom with, let's say, a live pinfish or something, how many times are you going to get snagged and have to re-rig? You very rarely, once you learn how to really read the bottom, get snagged when you're slow pitch jigging. So I think that you're able to fish longer, which in turn will lead to more bites. And it's also really good for prospecting. If you are fishing a new area and you don't really know what's down there, I say just, you know, do a nice mile long drift or half a mile or whatever, however big that structure is and just keep jigging and kind of just figure out what's down there. You, ne you never know. And another thing is, is there are instances where, you know, there might be a spot and it's loaded with red snapper, loaded with gags, and you just keep dropping baits down and you're getting tore up by, you know, little pesky fish, pinfish, grunts. Um, so if you are trying to avoid stuff like that, sometimes the jig can outperform. It's... It's all scenario based. I like the idea of using it for prospecting. That definitely makes sense. If you're drifting, like, you know, like we do, Joe, you may move, you know, 25 yards 
Um, but if you can drift that natural bottom, and like you said, prospecting, same thing as using a popping cork under with an artificial shrimp. You're just covering water, trying to find out if something's there or not. Right. Yeah. Especially some of these, uh, you know, Northern Gulf, you got a lot of areas of limestone, you know, yep. type, type bottoms, kind of Swiss cheese is what I always call it bottom. And, you know, you get on a mark and you know that, Hey, this has typically been a good mark, but there's little rocks and things scattered out amongst there be a good way to cover ground there as well. You know, going back to the real question, Butch, Butch was asking about line retrieve and, you know, you made a good point. It just kind of depends on the day. You know, is this something that somebody needs to go out if they say, eh, I like the way this sounds. I'd like to add this to my quiver. Do they need to go out and get that specific slow pitch jigging setup like you're talking about those two setups? Or is there something that they've probably already got on their boat where they could just grab a jig and, and give it a shot to start out? Like, is there a, you know, a, a spinning rod that they've got that would probably work OK? Yes. So I would say it's a more of a matter of comfort than necessity. You can use a, hundred, a 130 Tiagra if you want, but you're going to beat yourself up in about 10 minutes. And yes, you're not going to get as much action, but fishermen, you know, you walk into a tackle shop and you see all these different colors that resemble nothing in nature whatsoever. And people, you know, the lure market as a whole is meant to attract the fishermen, not the fish. And it's kind of the same thing with gear. You can get as... You know, there's a, there's a guy who's going to spend $500 on gear, and then there's going to be a guy who spends $2,000 on gear. Yep. When you're dealing with that, the $500 guy, the $2,000 guy might be equal. The $100 guy and the $500 guy, the $500 guy is going to have a better experience, probably going to have better action. But it does get to a point where people start to spend silly money. and But that that's just kind of like a hobby thing. You can get a $1,000 pair of golf clubs or 10000 but I'm pretty sure that Tiger Woods is going to beat the guy with $10,000 golf clubs on $500 golf clubs, right? Right. So yeah. it's like it, it kind of comes down to you know experience at the end of the day too. But I would say a really important thing for you to enjoy your time out there slow pitch jigging because it is a lot of effort and a lot of work. And especially when you're starting out and you haven't caught anything on it, to find a, a comfortable light rod light reel it will make your experience that much better so if it's something you're serious about the difference between spending 500 dollars on an osha jigger or a saltiga versus a you know a big bulky fathom or torium you're gonna have a better time can you do it on the torium and fathom yes but it all depends on what you want your experience to be the guy in the torium could outfish the guy with the osha jigger but it depends on what you want your personal experience to be. So Victor, I've got some some jigging setups and and I've got like Shimano's little slow pitch rod, real thin rods, mm -hmm. super lightweight. And uh, one of them I have uh, a 16 Talica, which honestly feels a little bit big. It's a little wide. It's kind of not balanced as well. And the other one I have the 12, which is a little thinner reel and it's balanced perfectly. But like, I've just kind of wondered I've got 65 braid on the 16s, and I think I'll stop right your... there. Yeah, that's <laughs> why I'm wondering. Like, what line size do I need? I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you this right now. So, um, you guys are are golf boys. You're Alabama boys. I'm I'm sure you guys have a lot of structure where you're fishing. Yep. Slow pitch jigging, you can get owned on on some of the light stuff that we're fishing. But if you're fishing that Swiss cheese bottom and you're doing those long drifts where it's more natural bottom and there's not as much stuff to break you off on, what 
the guys on the East Coast and what I'm running on our setups, you won't believe, is 20-pound braid. What? Yes. 20-pound wow. braid, and you we will not believe nothing this. here on 20-pound. Well, that's where you have to ask the question. Slow-pitch jigging might not be effective in your region or, or where, whatever spots you may have. I test all of you guys after this is done or anyone you know watching this podcast when people say they're fishing 20 pounds of drag or 30 pounds of drag i don't think most fishermen have ever felt in their lifetime what 30 pounds of drag feels like most reels you know like a torium 16 torium 20 smaller fathoms your smaller live bait setups they're maxing out at 20 pounds of drag and that is heavy most people are fishing eight pounds of drag offshore and don't even realize it I challenge you to test it out. 20 pound braid. Most of the good, you know, uh, eight strand braids these days are breaking well above 20 pounds breaking strength. Yeah. I want to, I want to dig in on this. Why so light? Is it a, yeah, right. it a that's first question is yeah, yeah, exactly. Why so light? Go ahead. Okay. So the reason you're fishing so light, going back to our discussion of being able to have a, a vertical line angle, I don't know what your current situation is in the Gulf, but for us in the Atlantic, we have a lot of current. So I'd say most of the time you're fishing a hundred foot plus of water. You have it around two knots of current plus add in any wind you're drifting fast. 20 pound braid has such a small diameter that it cuts through the water to where you're going to be able to fish your jig straight up and down. As soon as you start getting into 30, you'll notice it significantly. You don't get as a vertical angle, 40 pound, 50 pound, you really lose that vertical angle. And that's what it's all about. Not only, are you going to be able to work it more effectively? You're not going to beat yourself up. Everyone knows what it feels like to be vertical jigging and your line is 300 feet behind the boat versus straight up and down. You're not vertical jigging at that point. No. <laughs> right. You're yeah. trolling. Your horse you're horizontal. Yes. Yeah, you're trolling. You know, I, when I first started doing it too, I was very shocked. I was like, you got to be kidding me. 20 pound braid. Like that's what I'm fishing for trout, but mm -hmm. it's so much stronger than you think, but that's where we got to go back to. You should not be fishing this around heavy structure, wrecks. This is where you're drifting on the outside of the wreck and you're pretty confident that you're going to be able to pull the fish off of it. Or you're, you're prospecting for smaller fish, uh, natural bottom, open water, sand. What we do a ton of out here is we just, you know, we drift with live baits for kingfish, sailfish, dolphin, tuna. And while we have our live baits in the water, I always like to be jigging whether it's slow pitch or high speed. And, you know, in that case, I don't have to worry about getting broken off because I'm in open water. But that 20 pound, what I use is Tough Line Dominate, which is made in partnership with Mustad. It's the greatest braid you'll ever fish for slow pitch jigging. So, Victor, whenever I think about breaking strength, you know, I'm always going with the old adage of, you know, one third or whatever your line class is. So if I'm, if I'm fishing 50 pound test, I'm usually setting my drags at around 15 pounds, 15, 16 pounds. You know, Butch, you think back to we're running 50, 50 wides with 50 pound monofilament. We were running our drags usually at 15 pounds of, of drag. And, and that's where we kind of wanted to be there. So not having talked to you today before that, if I had 20 pound test, then I'm not going to want more than five pounds of drag. When I'm thinking about that, fishing down here, catching anywhere up to 50 pound groupers, 25 pound snappers, amberjacks, who knows how big they're going to be potential to hook one of these fish. I'm thinking that, man, I'm going to get destroyed 
with six or seven pounds of drag. I mean, there's no way I'm going to stop these fish. But if, if I heard you correctly, I don't want to be sure I did. You're saying that this 20 pound braid, you're running a lot heavier drag on that 20 pound. What are you set your drag to? Are you, are you testing your drags before you get out there? Yeah. So I fish uh, an OSHA jigger and a Daiwa Saltiga and it's right around eight to 10 pounds. That's straight off the spool. So that's without any uh, rod bend. So I'm assuming that the rod bend is going to give you a little bit more. But that, that always, we're going to go back to this conversation where, you know, for your guys' region, if you're frequently dealing with 50 pound grouper and you know there's a lot of structure, I wouldn't say frequently, but they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> you can jig slower on heavier setups. It depends on the current and you're not going to get as much, um, you know, jigging time. But right. You might need to be fishing 50 pounds, 65 pound braid with a, you know, max maxed out drag on, on the spinner conventional. But it, so it's, it's all relative to the area you're fishing. But what you give up, if I'm hearing you correctly, when you step up in, in line class, you're going to give up some drag in the water. It's going to be harder, not necessarily impossible, but it's going to be harder for you to maintain vertical. Much harder. And you're going to have to compensate by going with a heavier, bigger profile jig. All right, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Strength, speed, and versatility. A winning combination on, off, and in the field. At SunSouth, that's exactly what you get. The quality John Deere equipment, affordably priced, and ready to tackle projects on your property. Like the John Deere 5 Series tractors with discounts up to $3,500 at SunSouth. And don't forget to service your John Deere Gator at SunSouth with free pickup and delivery packages. Come see us at your neighborhood SunSouth, equipment for those that do. Some restrictions may apply. See dealers for details. Offer expires October 31st, 2021 at checkout. And brought to you by the Hunting Exchange. In this day and age, we all know it's a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms. And that's where the Hunting Exchange steps in. Hunting Exchange is an app for iOS and Android that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear. Whether you're looking to sell your bow, broadheads, technical apparel, stands, saddles, or anything in between, this secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal, and as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms, and listing items are also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow or a knife. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. And we're back. We're going to be continuing to talk about slow pitch jigging. When you've got light current, I mean, when we were out this past weekend, you know, Angela, I'm thinking about like this past weekend when, you know, you couldn't go, we caught the 50 pound grouper, you know, when, <laughs> not to rip we, that in or anything. Not, yeah, you know, but, uh, no, we had very little current. It was beautiful. You know, we were in 300 feet of water. We weren't fighting the current. It was no big deal. That would have been a good day to probably go with a, a lighter profile jig, lighter line class. You could probably have two, like you say, go back to those two setups where one setup could be a lighter line, a lighter profile, a lighter jig. Uh, and then maybe you've got a heavier line, a heavier jig where, you know, you're going to be dealing with current, or if you get in one of these areas where, Hey, I know I've got a lot of structure down there. 
And I, it, those first 10 feet are going to really make the difference. Back to what you were saying, Victor, I mean, it, it does depend. Even even in the Northern Gulf, you know, Angelo, we talk with uh, Delenn quite a bit about this. You know, he's recommending that you get away from the bottom. You get away from the reef to fish and, and keep everybody away from the reef. And if you do that, those fish will come out away from that reef, away from that structure. You don't necessarily have to be right on top of it. That's what I'm hearing you say. Would you, would you add anything to that, Victor? Uh, yeah. So uh, I'll give you an example. So I have a good buddy of mine, uh, Joshua Sauls. He's out of Panama City, Florida. His family's been commercial fishing there for, I think, two or three generations. You know, he grew up old school, 100-pound braid, 100-pound leader, no matter what they were doing, vermilion fishing, grouper fishing. You know, their theory was is I'd rather get less bites, but I'm going to land that 50-pounder. And so I've done a couple of videos with him and, you know, I was on his boat where we caught a 38 pound guide grouper uh, on a jig. And, you know, I've been on his boat where we have four rods in the water four three people are fishing pinfish. I'm fishing a jig and I'm catching three vermilion snapper at the same rate that they're catching their fish. Uh, and it's on a jig with 30 pound, 40 pound fluorocarbon leader we're a little bit off of the wreck. Sometimes we would drift off of the wreck. I certainly wouldn't drop that 20 pound braid right on top of it. Cause you know, you're going to get owned, but it's funny. People think that bottom fish find this piece of structure and never leave it. It's like, you ever wonder how that 50 pound grouper got there? These, these fish roam, they roam all day long. They might be at this wreck for a week or two, and then they may move on to the next one. How do you think they ended up 120 miles offshore? They got tails, they swim, there's no fences in the ocean. That's um, right. So I think that, you know, doing that open water drift can be very productive. And I think it's something you guys should definitely give a, give a try. I like what you said about choosing your braid. That's really eye-opening for me. I would have just figured, hey, I'm going to get, like you said, I'm going to get 80 or 100 pound braid and do this because when I hook that big gag, I want to be able to handle it. But talking about that what about top shots do you know with braid you get zero stretch basically do you want to do anything uh with with mono or fluorocarbon to be able to give yourself some some stretch when you're doing this uh or do you like to go braid right to the jig or or do you like to have a a leader take me through that next step i fish about four to eight feet of fluorocarbon fg not straight to braid and believe it or not what people might not realize especially when you're jigging at 200 feet of water i dare you to hook the bottom and stretch that braid out i promise you you're get it you're gonna get a good six to eight feet of stretch braid does stretch it does not stretch nearly as much as mono but it does stretch gotcha so what i'm hearing you say is i need my wife to listen to this i need at least 10 setups yeah, if we're talking about for sure more than two light setups. Line. absolutely <laughs> <laughs> with the weight of the jigs and the weight of the, I mean, well, you just can't be changing out all the time. You just need a new setup for each one. I feel like, for sure. Well, he meant what he meant was two setups with twenty pound tests. Then you need two setups with like for heavier. You right. know, I could see the at least ten setups for sure. Victor, maybe I'm like a little ignorant here, and I always just thought a a slow pitch jig was a butterfly jig. But is there some sort of difference there? There is no difference. Let me let me break it down in real simple terms. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys can look this up at home, but butterfly jigs were first made by Shimano, and that was like their their flagship uh, vertical jig. Okay, we got, we got to break it down from the pyramid on the top, right? Everything is jigging, right? And if you're jigging vertically, it's called a vertical jig. 
And then you break it down into the second layer, right? You got slow pitch jigs, high speed jigs, and that's all I would really say. And the only big difference is if you're going to be ripping something through the water column, what's going to be easier? Something more round and oblong or slender and skinny? The slender skinny thing is going to have less drag. Bam, you got your high speed jig. Slow pitch jig, long and slender, is going to fall much faster than something um, with ridges in it, something that's wider, something that's short and fat, because it's not going to roll as much, right? So you're going to have to do twice the amount of jigging in a 10-minute segment as you would with something that's more round. So I think you could really break it down into black and white just like that. And then you get all these little nuances and you got all these different fancy names. You got hybrid jigs and and rip rollers and daggermans. Everyone's going to give it a little bit of a different shape. Just remember this. The longer and more slender it is, the easier it's going to be to rip through the water column at a faster speed. Fatter, the shorter, the wider, the more of a roll you're going to get and the slower it's going to flutter down. There's your standard slow pitch jig. I'm making you know bunny ears in quotes for all you guys at home who can't see. <laughs> and it's the same thing when it comes down to color. Oh, dude, what'd you get bit on? The red, the orange, the green? Listen, man, you ever look at a bait fish? There's like three colors. There's silver, green, and then whatever color a pinfish is. That's it. Like, I've <laughs> heard this millions of times. I don't know if it's true. Fish uh, are colorblind. Think light and dark. Have a set of dark color jigs, have a set of light color jigs, whichever one you're getting hit on that day, that's the one you use. doesn't matter. There's no such thing as an orange striped checkered pattern fish in the wild. You know? Yeah. One yep. last you're question right. just to follow that up. Do you ever do this at night? And if so, does like a glow jig work better than silver jig? I was actually just in Southern California two weeks ago jigging for bluefin tuna at night. I personally did not get one. There were boats around us who got them. And so funny thing enough, over there, they call them flat fall jigs. They don't have slow pitch jigs. They're called flat fall jigs. And it's just another terminology, you know, a, a difference of coasts. And they are big believers in the glow jig because I guess, you know, kind of like a, a squid would glow naturally at night or bioluminescence. Mm -hmm. But from what I've heard and seen, and the captain that I fish with, there's no difference in the amount of bites they get between a glow jig and a regular jig. You got to remember that fish's eyesight is so much better than ours. Look at the size of their pupils compared to ours. They can see pretty damn good compared to us. So I really think for it's mostly just the profile of the jig rather than the glow and the color. I'll buy it. I'll say this. At night, I've noticed certain nights that glow jig smokes the other jigs for blackfin i i have i have definitely noticed the same thing well and it's like you were saying victor like you're talking about the you know which one's going to fall slower it, it could be different every day you go out right. there i mean it's like you said if you're not getting bit change something up change your yep. technique up change the jig you've got on change the color uh, if it's a nighttime i mean but like you said for every time angelo that the glow in the dark jig has worked best guess what diamond jigs have just you know beat them you know so it's like it, you do have to just be prepared with lots of different options and and change it up until you find that bite but more importantly like you said victor you still got to be on fish you still got to be in the right spots you know it's not like this is just going to be a magic bullet to you starting to catch fish where there are none but victor like where's been your favorite place 
to slow pitch is you, you sound like you've traveled a lot and got to fish this technique in a lot of different places. Is there just somewhere that you just hit the right week and you're just like, man, that was badass. I'd say definitely Panama city. I've had some pretty uh, great success I call my first ever red snapper on a jig there. Uh, like I said, that big guy grouper, lots of vermilions. And then aside from that, I think one of the coolest things I've got to experience as a fisherman was this past summer, I went to Alaska and I didn't catch uh, my biggest halibut on a slow pitch jig, but I caught it on a big soft plastic grub tail. And the reason I bring this up is because after we caught, you know, that 70 pound halibut, we went inshore and we were fishing a metal jig, very, very similar to a mustad style jig, straight up and down in 100 feet of water. And we're catching halibut after halibut after halibut. And it was unbelievable. We must have <laughs> caught. 10 to 20 halibut a person, you know, anywhere from five to 15 pounds, schoolie sized fish, but just one after another, no live bait needed. That's fun. And, well, yeah. One thing I've, I'm dying to do is go back to Alaska. And now that I've experienced it once, and you know, I, I got a, a decent sized fish, I would strictly fish artificial there. That is one fishery where halibut, I've never heard of it. And the captain we fished with, they don't break you off. So you could afford to fish 20 pound braid for a 300 pound fish. You could get away with it. You're going to be there for a while, but I think that would be super rewarding as a fisherman. Yep. Absolutely. Man, that's been a great segment. I learned a lot. We really appreciate you being on today, Victor. Yeah. Thanks for having me. If folks want to uh, follow you on YouTube or online, where would you want to point people to check you out? All my handles are land shark outdoors. So that's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and yeah, got a lot of stuff on there. Um, big fishermen down here in South Florida. And my whole thing is I, I show people how to catch stuff. I show people how to clean it. And most of all, I, uh, I try to respect the fish as much as possible in the kitchen and show people that, you know, you got to give fish the justice they deserve from the start of the process to the finish of the process. And, you know, I'm, I'm big time home chef. And that's what I really like to show people is to really get out there and try new recipes and, you know, not turn their nose up to any fish. That's awesome. We're trying to do the same thing. We uh, we like to eat over here in Alabama as well. <laughs> well, Victor, thanks a lot for joining us, man. It's been fun, and uh, thanks for sharing your knowledge. We definitely learned some things on slow pitch jigging, and uh, we'll be looking forward to uh, talking to you again sometime in the future. I got to go watch some of these. I got to see some of this twenty pound, twenty pound yeah. braid stuff happen. This has really got my got me intrigued. But piqued uh, your interest? Yeah, man. Yeah, I got to see that. But thanks for joining us, man. All right, thank you very much. Man, what'd you learn from that, Butch? I, I enjoyed talking to Victor. He's obviously got a lot of experience with the very, you know, detailed parts of slow pitch jigging. Like we said, it's kind of a new name for something we've been doing for a long time. It's like all everything we seems like we get back to on here is keeping that bait or that lure in the strike zone, yep. figuring out what that how that needs to be presented in the strike zone. And this is just another way to do it, but he did have my attention when he said it doesn't beat you up so bad. That's always been one of the things with, with high speed is like, golly, you know, you do that two or three, four times without catching anything. You start to be thinking about that live bait a little bit more. What'd you take away from today? A ton for sure. I mean, we've been jigging our whole lives, but how, how many times have you heard somebody break it down like that and, or, fished with anybody that had that sort of knowledge to, to dig into that niche as much as he did. No, never... and, well, and, and have the patience to, 
right. as well. That's a lot of figuring it out. He learned a lot from a lot of experience. Well, and you know, it'd be tough. It'd be tough to be on a boat with three, four, five other guys. They're all running live baits and you're over there with the slow pitch jig and trying to figure it out while they're bailing the scamps in the group, you know, like, I, like give me the, give me that live bait. You know, what do you think? You know what? I'd say this. I think that 20, possibly 30 pound tests in our part of the world, but like on the scamps, I mean, most of our scamps are going to be five to 12 pounds. I mean, if you get most anything over that, that's a, just a, a monster. Yeah, and yeah. like, unless you're fishing for them on an oil rig, like just on natural bottom, I mean, you on the right day, you can just blister them on a jig. And I'd, I'd be curious, you know, on that 20 pound, like even just jigging black fins for bait, like, do you really need more than the 20 pound test? I don't think so. I mean, if you get sharked, you're going to get sharked regardless of what you have on there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like you say, I mean, it's, it just really depends on, are you fishing right on the structure or are yeah. you not? And if you're not right on the structure, why, I mean, why wouldn't you, the whole point, like you said, is to try to stay vertical. And if and going compact. with that, if that going with that lighter line allows you to do that, that's a great thing. It's, it's lighter. It's, it's going to be more fun, uh, less fatiguing. And what's the worst that could happen? You get broke off, you know, right. With an $8 chick. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, I will say this, you know what? Like you probably wouldn't want to do that on an oil rig on our part of the world with like 20 pound tests. Like, and like, you know, he's fishing South Florida. You ever fish down there? The current rips at like three to four knots almost all the time. He's got to fish that light tackle. Where up here, yeah, some days you get tons of current, but I'd say at least 50%, if not more, we're almost dealing with zero current. And then it's just how good can the guy hold you up on the spot? Or like if you really have no current, you're just covering natural bottom. I mean, why not fish? I don't know. I have a hard time saying 20 pound test. <laughs> Angelo can't even say it. He can't even do it. <laughs> like, I, I think like for me, it's a minimum of 40 because you just don't know. You're going to hook a 20 pound plus pound snapper. You're going to hook up amberjack, you know, a 50 pound amberjack 30 foot off the bottom. And you don't know what you have. And so your inclination is going to be to thumb the reel and you're just going to pop them off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, just don't do, well, just don't do that. Right. Trial, trial, <laughs> trial and error. I mean, that's all you can do is, is try the different setups and see what works for you. See what works in your area. But there's... I don't think it matters how big the fish is that you hook. I think it's all about the structure. Cause I mean, you catch a five, 800 pound Marlin on 80 pound test, 50 pound yeah. test all the time. So yeah. I don't think it's the size of the fish. I think it all boils down to structure, what you're all fishing right. around. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, like, like he said, if you've ever pulled line out of your reel, Oh yeah. With 20 pounds of drag, you can't hardly pull with your hand 20 pounds. You can't hardly pull it off the reel at 20 set at 20 pounds. So yeah. most people pulling drag out of their reel. Yeah. He's exactly right. You're eight to 10 pounds and you, you're like, well, that feels about right. You know, but when you put it on the scale, it's plenty. I hitched myself up to a stand up rod and just put it at 50 pounds to see what that would feel like. And almost got pulled down a hill by my dad. Yeah. who I had tied to the other end. And I thought if I'm going to be at 50 pounds of drag, like that's just, that that's almost dangerous. Mm -hmm. dangerous. Oh, no doubt. It is dangerous. Especially that's, like, that's like latched into a harness. So there's no way you could hold on to 50 pounds. Like, so could you 50 pound test be adequate? Yeah. Like my guess is 
30 pound test on a stand up situation harnessed in is, is a lot of pressure. I don't know if he could handle 30 pound test very long, 30 pounds of drag very long if you just had the rod and reel in your hand. That's a ton of drag, man. It's a lot of drag. That's a ton of drag. Very interesting stuff. Good talking to you, boys. Sure. We'll talk to you next time. All right, folks, let's take just a minute and hear a word from a couple of our sponsors. MB Ranch King hunting blinds and feeders are built to last right here in the USA. With durability and convenience in mind, MB Ranch King's maintenance-free blinds are built and constructed with high-grade steel and come in a variety of sizes to meet any hunter's needs. We also offer high-quality, easy-to-use corn and protein feeders that can be filled with both feet on the ground. Call Kevin today for more information or get a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King, built in the pursuit of perfection. And brought to you by Boaters List is your new reliable and fast resource designed to link everyone to everything on the water. If you own or run a boat, you know how difficult it can be to find the right company for the task at hand. Boaters List makes it easy to find the service you're looking for. Locate anything from fuel docks to service repairs or rentals of large yachts or even paddle boats and all things in between at boaterslist.com. They will always strive to make it better on the water. And brought to you by NorthAlabama.org. Are you looking for a real adventure? Whether you are experienced or just a weekend angler looking to land a big one, North Alabama is the place to go for your next fishing expedition. North Alabama is home to eight picturesque lakes, Pickwick, Wilson, Wheeler, Weiss, Smith, Neely Henry, Lake Gunnersville, and Bear Creek Lakes. Each lake is well-stocked with a variety of fish, and in North Alabama, fishing is great year-round. For more information, visit www.northalabama.org and click on Plan to download a North Alabama fishing guide. All right, folks, I hope y'all enjoyed that. I know I learned something out of it. And when I go down to the coast, I might want to do a little slow pitch jigging. That's going to be a wrap for our show this week. I look forward to being back with you guys next week. We'll be back talking about bass fishing, crappie fishing. We've got some new guests lined up, some young guys, not Auburn. I know y'all are used to having my Auburn guys on here and War Eagle to them. But we're going to have some Montevalli guys on next week. We're going to also be talking to other professional guys and fishermen from around the state. And as this weather continues to cool, the fish are just turning on. And and I'm just looking forward to next week's show already. That's going to be a wrap for this week's, though. So if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Guys, take a few minutes. If you like the show, if you're enjoying listening to it, we would love to have you guys write a review and, and give us a good rating. That that does nothing but continues to help us. And if you're enjoying it, we'll email you the show each and every week. All you have to do is text the word fishing to 314-665-1767, and we will email you the show each and every week. Thanks for listening, to guys. Look forward to next week. Y'all stay safe. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by OutdoorAlabama.com. That's where I learned the basics of how to hunt and fish, including what's in season and which license to buy. Learn more at OutdoorAlabama.com. Go hunt, go fish, get outdoors. 
This message was brought to you by the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. And brought to you by SunSouth from Outdoors Equipment, Parts, Services, Accessories. SunSouth has you covered. Own the best for less. Visit SunSouth or SunSouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. SunSouth. For those that do. And by Photonist Defense, PD Pro Ultralight Ultra Compact Night Vision Systems. Simply the best in class night vision system ever built. Contact us at PhotonistDefense.com to learn more. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. And brought to you by BoatersList.com. Do you own your own company that needs to reach boaters, anglers, and marine enthusiasts? Sign up for free today to grow your business on BoatersList.com. BoatersList.com. Do you own your own company that needs to reach boaters, anglers, and marine enthusiasts? Sign up for free today to grow your business on BoatersList.com. And brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save a bundle online at greatdaysoutdoors.com.